we uh, are experimenting with this new format of sticking around and going deep into the same uh, passage of scripture uh, week after week after week after week and inviting four different people, uh, in our case, uh, two uh, women, two, uh, two men, to um, share what God places on their heart uh, as they read through this, uh, this passage. And I believe that the last month or so has been a wonderful illustration of how uh, the same passage of scripture can speak differently to different people and how our unique personalities, our unique identities, our unique histories and viewpoints all bring something uniquely beautiful to the table in such a way where we cover each other's blind spots and we can all benefit from a fuller uh, understanding and application of the word of God. So uh, for this last week, if you have your Bibles with you, uh, turn with me back to 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 to 17, and we're going to revisit this passage just uh, one more time. And it says the following, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin, but if anybody does sin, we have an advocate from the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the toning sacrifice for our sins, and not only our sins, but also the sins of the uh, whole world. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do uh, what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard, yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother and sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there's nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. I am writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name, I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. And I write you, young men, again, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. And then finally... Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Okay, a lot of, a lot of content to synthesize here this morning. And as I read this passage myself, Um, I'm sure you guys have caught on to two themes that have emerged kind of side by side, which in its application can uh, oftentimes feel like they're in tension with one another. That is, that we know that both of these things are true. They're both affirmed in Scripture. And yet, it's really tricky sometimes how to actually live and embody uh, both of these uh, at the same time. And what I'm talking about is the themes of love and of sin. And on one hand, John uses very strong and powerful language to talk about the importance of love. He talks about how uh, loving our brothers and sisters is so important, it's almost like a litmus test for the Christian faith. That, and John says that it doesn't really matter what you believe 
uh, theoretically or conceptually, but if you hate your brother and sister, then you are living in darkness and you are living in blindness. And on the flip side, if you, are, if you love your brother and sister, you know God and you walk in the light. But this isn't the only thing that's in this passage of Scripture. Uh, John also talks about sin, right? And you know that you know, nowadays, sin is just one of those things that is not very uh, sexy to talk about in general and even in churches. And I think um, it's tempting for many of us to want to focus only on the love, you know, and rightly so because love is really important. It's that important, and rightly so because unfortunately a lot of Christians haven't got, done this very well, especially in recent history and arguably in long-term history as well. But oftentimes I would also suggest that in our current culture, and I've been uh, guilty of this uh, as well, um, that we can talk about love in a way where we pretend that sin no longer exists. Right? That we talk about love in a certain way where uh, it's almost as if sin is no longer in the equation. Right? And what this might look like in real life is that you know, we want to so love and accept people for who they are that practically speaking, we can mistakenly think that this means we let them do whatever they want. Right? Even if whatever they do is destructive to themselves and destructive to other people, and we just let them do it because we, in the name of love, essentially. And that's actually not what scripture suggests here, right? Uh, you notice in the very beginning of chapter two of 1 John, uh, where does John start with? He starts with the following phrase, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. This is how this passage begins. And if we continue in verse three, it says, um, we know that we have come to know him if we, if we obey his commands. So there's something about sin and something about God's commands that still is relevant and still comes alongside this conversation about loving our brothers and our sister. In fact, this conversation about loving others, it's actually situated in God's commands. That's why it's important because this is what God commanded of us. It's also interesting to note that not only does this notion of sin show up in the beginning of this passage, but it also bookends this passage at the very end. Um, as Elliot, Pastor Elliot preached last week, um, sin is rightly understood as misguided love. So oftentimes the trickiest and most destructive sin isn't the sin that is obviously sin to everyone else, but it's actually the sin that uses the language of love. It's the sin that looks like it's love, but it's actually misguided towards other ends. That's actually what sin is, according to this passage. And this is uh, what it says in verse 15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. So putting these two themes together, love and sin, we have this central charge to love as Jesus did. And this breaks down into two parts. One, that we are to love our brothers and sisters. And then two, we are not to love the world that is you know, and, and we, they articulate it as the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And collectively, this is what we call sin. 
And all of these, these two themes rang true in the last four weeks. For example, Pastor Jay uh, started us off by talking about sin and how even when we don't want to sin, we still end up struggling with sin. He also talked about institutional sin and the importance of us uh, receiving God's mercy and forgiveness. Uh, Katie, the week after, talked about how we are to love as Jesus did, including loving our enemies and loving those individuals that are difficult for us to love. And that was a very challenging message for me. And then Vanessa continued and spoke about how love is central to the gospel of Jesus and to how walking in love is walking with Jesus. And she uh, just really wonderfully, beautifully modeled this in the ways that she has been in dialogue and in community with people with uh, different sexual identities as well as different sexual orientations. And then last week, Pastor Elliot talked about how sin is selfish love or misguided love. And he talked about kind of some of the uh, destructive cycles that might be caused by selfish love and the violence that this might cause on ourselves and on others. Which brings us to today. So, you know, true to the values of the church, um, when we uh, ask four people, four of the leaders of this church to preach from this topic, we heard stuff about loving our neighbors, loving our neighbors who look different from us, loving our neighbors who uh, think different from us, loving our neighbors uh, both locally and in the world who are difficult to love. And I think this is true to form. This is very much a core foundational value of our church. And when I hear these messages, they continue to be challenging for me, and I'm sure they continue to be challenging for us. And yet at the same time, I feel like our church we, you know, as difficult as, as this is, we, we don't need to be convinced that this is a good thing. You know, we still have a long way to go, and we are pressing into this, and, we, and we, we're, we're going to continue to press the, into this for a long time. Um, but when I think of our church, we, I think of a church that already cares about these things. And when I think of this tension between love and sin, I'm guessing that most of us is going to, we're naturally going to uh, lean towards the love side. And if we were to make a mistake on this spectrum of love and sin, we're probably going to make the mistakes on the, on the side of love. And certainly this is the case for myself as well. I've made plenty of mistakes uh, on that side, uh, on both sides, to be fair. Right. So um, the question that we're going to start off today is going to be a very interesting question is the following. In our pursuit of loving others, why is it still important for us to take seriously the reality of sin? Whether that relates to the reality of sin in our own lives, as uh, the ones that are trying to love others, whether that involves the reality of sin in those we're trying to love in others, and or whether that involves the reality of sin in the world, like systemic sin, institutional sin, as Pastor Jay uh, has mentioned. So why is it still, why is sin still important uh, as we take seriously this uh, God's command for us to love? So as now, as I invite the panel to come up, why don't you discuss this with the person next to you and see what you guys think? Go ahead. And we're going to have two conversation, uh, two questions that we're going to discuss. I feel like we can probably spend all day just talking about this one. Um, but let's start off with the first one. So in our pursuit of loving others, why is it still important for us to take seriously the reality of sin in ourselves, in others, and in the larger institutions in this world? And maybe I'll start off with um, Pastor Jay. Why don't you jump in? All right. Um, yeah, so big question. Um, 
I think for me, the, the place that my mind went to was to kind of think about like what is, what is sin? What, what, is, the, what is the definition of sin? Um, and it, I mean, I think if we just kind of go basically to sort of like what Jesus said, right? That you know, the greatest commandments are to love God and to love one another. And the whole law and the prophets is summed up in those two commandments. So like in my mind, what that tells me is that sin, all sin in some way is some failure to love, right? Some failure to love God as we should, some failure to love one another as we shouldn't. Like if I was going to make a diagram, it's like those love God is at the top under that trickles down to loving others and then trickles down to every other sin is some failure in those two, in those two regards. And um, I think the other piece that kind of comes to mind is just that, that the, the source of suffering in the world is sin, right? The source of hate, the source of violence, the source of racism, the source of everything, like oppression, all of that, the source of it is sin. So, so, if, so sin is kind of the failure to love, and the, the, the source of our suffering is sin. So it's kind of like you, if we want to be about the addressing, I guess, the, the, the hate in the world or the, the, um, the oppression in the world, the violence in the world, we, we, if we, or maybe let me put it more positively, if we want to be people who are walking in love the way that Jesus calls us to, we have to also be about um, turning away from sin that you can't separate those two to, to talk about, well, I'm about love and I don't really want to talk about sin too much. It's, it's almost a contradiction, I feel like, because they, they flow into one another. So that, that's kind of where my mind went. I don't know about you guys. Yeah, thank you, Jay. Um, yeah, I, I agree with all that. And, and I think that, um, you know, love, like God, God from the very beginning has been, um, has desired to give us life. Right from the very beginning, creating us, breathing life into us, um, and it says in um, in John ten ten that um, that that Christ came to to give life and to give it to the full, um, and the enemy came to still kill, kill and destroy. And yeah. so um, I feel like that kind of gives a picture of these two different things, where where love, what God has made us for, created us for, um, should be something that brings life and flourishing. That's what God desires for us. Whereas as sin breaks that down, it brings destruction, it steals and kills and destroys. Um, so we do, we do have to think about sin and um, be aware of how that's happening both in our own lives and, and around us. Um, and I think that with that too, um, when, I, when I spoke a couple weeks ago and I was saying that, that love requires discernment, I think the same is true with sin. Yes. There's a lot of discernment in there. Yes. And I think that we see that throughout the New Testament um, yes. in passages like in Romans 14, where it's talking about disputable matters, you know, what people are choosing to eat or not eat. And, and this idea that people are going to kind of come to different convictions. And so then based on your conviction, um, that's going to determine how you should live it out, but that we're not supposed to necessarily judge each other for our convictions. And that even if our conviction is causing harm to someone else or causing someone else to stumble, then we might need to act differently, engage differently um, in order to, to bring about what's, what's best for, for the community and for all. Um, I think we see this too in, there's, there's a story that takes place in both, it's Luke 6 and Matthew 12. They both tell this story of, um, of Jesus and his disciples on the Sabbath, and they're going and they're they're picking grain, 
to eat. Um, and then later Jesus ends up healing someone. And the teachers of the law are telling him, you're, why are you breaking the law, right? This is very clear, the Sabbath, you're supposed to keep the Sabbath, not work on the Sabbath. Um, and Jesus says in those times, in, in, in Luke 6, the way that it tells us that he's saying, what is good, to save life or to destroy it? Um, in, in Matthew's um, account of it, he says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And so we see in that that, yes, the, the law, the commandments and things that we see in the Bible are helping to show us what it means to love and, and live in the way that God desired us to. But even in that, we have to use some discernment when yeah. is this law actually leading to life um, and leading to, to mercy or, yeah. or is it leading to destruction? Mm-hmm. Very good. Thank you. Um, I, I think about what, when I see this question, I think about like what this means for Christendom and like the as, like a means of evangelism and um, and like it. So for like the verse before all this, like the part that we started, you know, says like if we claim to be without sin, we make him out to be a liar. Him being Jesus, we make Jesus to be a liar, and his word is not in us, and. That's that's really bold. Like you know, to say that if if it hurts our witness, it hurts our um, yeah, it, it hurts the message of Jesus when we when we don't proclaim, like when we don't take seriously the reality of sin. Um, you know, I think about like um, I feel like the main kind of critique against Christianity that we hear out there and. And I mean, you don't have to be out there. Like you, we could see within ourselves being in the church. Like the main critique is like hypocrisy, like uh, hypocrisy. Like we see, like we say this one thing, but we don't live it out in one way. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why we have to be real about just the impact of sin within ourselves and within our world, um, because it, it's, it's, it's hurt our witness as a whole. Yes. Thank you. I think also... Um... In my sermon, I like jokingly reference the verse where it talks about um, like calling out the speck in someone else's eye when you have a plank in your own eye. Um, and like the eye like see planks in other people's eyes, right? And I'm like, you guys have these glaring things. Um, and I think that that's part of this reality of sin. Like if we're loving people and we have planks in our eyes and we can't see our own sin, we're gonna end up hurting people, right? Like even in that, when we're focusing on like, our approach to healing sins or making justices right, like if, if we're not aware of the way we're sinning, we're gonna just create new forms of injustice or hurt. Um, and I think just as I think most of us, or at least myself, like it's so much easier to see like that little thing about someone else, I like a lot of proportion and a huge thing in me, I like minimize, right? I think that's like actually a, a thing that it's harder to see sometimes like, no, that's like my issue. And like, I gotta let that go. And so I think that we, Sometimes in this idea to focus on love so much, we can, can miss things in ourselves and we don't realize the way we're hurting other people or the solutions that we're seeking, um, they're just, they're gonna cause different issues or not even address the real issue because we're blinded by or misguided um, if we can't recognize the sin in ourselves. that uh, when we do justice work, when we, when we love others, sometimes it's tempting for us to idealize ourselves and not take seriously our own sinful nature. 
And sometimes when we do that, we end up wanting to be the savior. We want, end up wanting to be the hero. And we do things with good intention, but uh, we may not be aware of competing interests and competing motivations. And we end up making things worse for everyone, ourselves and others. Also, sometimes when we do justice work, um, and I fall into this as well, we don't idealize our own sin ourselves, but we actually idealize the oppressed. And we were like, well, you know, we just want to help them, and they're the perfect people. And, and then when you do justice work, we realize that there's uh, the oppressed, uh, which includes us too in some ways, are just as sinful as anyone else's. And that also throws a wrench into the equation, right? And then we sometimes can idealize the world, thinking that if we just did this and this, the world's going to be a better place. And we don't realize that there's so much institutional stuff that is so much outside of our control, right? So perhaps some of this conversation about sin is as we mature in our loving uh, other people, um, we uh, need to be careful not to idealize ourselves, not to idealize others, and also not to idealize the world. And I think Jesus would agree with all three of those. He knew uh, the reality of the human heart and also the reality of, uh, of uh, the brokenness of the world. Which brings us to this next question, which is, why is the gospel still needed in our justice work? You know, so our, our church is really, one of the things I love about our church is that we look at the gospel holistically. So it's not just, you know, sharing the Bible and sharing the story of Jesus, but it's also stuff like tackling uh, poverty, tackling racism, tackling institutional sin, stuff like that. Um, and I don't know if about you, but I've, I've met and I know lots of people who uh, started this path of doing justice work, uh, you know, as Christians. And then over the, cross, over the course of uh, the work of uh, justice, uh, the faith just disappeared. And now they're just doing justice work, you know? And, uh, you know, from uh, other uh, churches with different viewpoints, a lot of the critiques of churches like ours is, well, you're really into social stuff, but what about the gospel? You know, what happens if you lose the gospel along the way? Uh, you know, so because of that, I'd love for us to explore the second question. Uh, why is the gospel still needed uh, if we're fully committed to doing justice work? Why can't we just do justice work without the gospel? Why don't I give you guys a few moments to discuss, and then we'll join in here. Go ahead. All right, let's come back together. I love these conversations. And friends, um, I mean, this is just the beginning of this conversation. We, we need to struggle through these questions together for the many years to come, you know. Um, this is very foundational to our identity and our mission as a spiritual community. But um, for now, uh, I want to invite uh, our, our panel to uh, share what they have, uh, share their thoughts. Why is the gospel still needed in justice work? Um, there's, there's a few thoughts that came to mind for me. Um, and first of all is that I, I think it's important in everything, but especially in our justice work, that we are kind of starting from this place of recognizing that everybody was made in the image of God, and therefore um, each person is worthy of love and dignity. Um, and I think that that's an important starting place for, for ourselves to like own that for ourselves, because then the way that we're going to approach our justice work is going to be different, not from a place of we're like chasing after that, that love and that worth, but we're grounded in that and then also to be able to see that for other people, right? As we're engaging in justice work, 
it's possible to just see it as the oppressed and the oppressor and I'm gonna help the oppressed and whatever happens to the oppressor in the midst of that, like that doesn't matter, right? Where we kind of seek to destroy one person to help somebody else. Um, it's very easy to get to that place, whether that's like physically or even just like mentally with our words, things like that. Um, so being able to keep in mind that each person is made in the image of God and and so that there is inherent goodness and dignity in, in that um, and being able to hold space for that as well. Um, and I think kind of on the, on the flip side of that, right, we're, we're all made in the image of God and also we're all broken, right? Um, we do, we all sin. <laughs> um, and so being able to recognize as we're in the midst of this work, um, the ways, having the humility to see that I'm, sometimes I perpetuate injustice, right? Um, or, or to see the, the ways that, that I am kind of seen or, or engaging with my enemy, right? We need to be able to have the humility to recognize what's kind of happening in our hearts and, and the harm that we might be causing, even as we're trying to pursue justice. Um, and then finally, um, the, the third thought um, is that we need to keep in mind that, that we are dependent on God. We need God. We can't do this work by our own strength. Um, not only is it, it gonna be discouraging and disappointing at times, um, and so we, we need God's spirit to refresh us, to keep us going. Um, but, sorry, I just lost my train of thought right there. Um, but also, um, the work of justice is very complex, and it's not, it's not very, always very straightforward, and we, we don't have all the answers. That's just the reality, right? And so we need to, to be with God as, as we think about that discernment piece, right? That happens with the Holy Spirit. We need to continue to, to return to God's presence, um, to be empowered by him, to be filled up, to, to be led in the ways that we should be pursuing justice. So actually, I just heard a conversation this week that asked this question in the context of, um, of Lent. And it was... Um, conversation between youth, uh, Ruth Haley Barton and Dominique um, Gilliard, Gilliard. And then, um, yeah, it was, it was this question. And then he was saying that for him growing up in, in the church, like in a historically black church, like there was no other gospel than a gospel that is infused with justice. And, you know, it's, like it's baked into the understanding and application and practice of justice. It's part of the announcements. If, if it's not a part of the announcements, it's tone deaf, you know, like, and, um, and, and so, like, and he said it was almost, like, disorienting and shocking once he got to college and, and grad levels, kind of being in more predominantly white spaces where, like, there was a complete dissociation of, like, gospel and justice. And so he felt like then he, it was his calling to be like, no, like, hey, y'all, like, we're missing this. This is a huge part. Like, we are preaching an anemic gospel, and we got to, and so it's kind of inviting folks in. So he talked kind of several ways about this, and, and it really kind of, kind of threw me, it made me think about um, Romans 12, right? Like how um, one of the ways that we, we, we offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holding and pleasing to God, when we do that, it's, yes, it's in the act of worship through singing and whatnot, but it's also through the act of like civil disobedience and getting into good trouble, you know? Um, and that as like, and, and, and we see that, and I think most of the time, the misconception, and maybe another, another way that we kind of separate is we think of it as like a New Testament idea. Like this is what Jesus and like how they lived it out, but it's really 
uh, it's consistent throughout scripture, right? Like, for example, like, you know, as Women's History Month, like Esther, Esther practiced, like, she lived out civil disobedience. Um, Rahab, she practiced civil disobedience. Um, uh, Moses' mom, she practiced civil disobedience by, you know, kind of going against the grain, like, you know, and kind of taking her own son in to be adopted, you know, and like, and she worked within this unjust system, um, and she did it in a way that was living righteously. And, and, and so I, yeah, so that's kind of like we, yeah, it's, there's the only, I, the only Sunday answer, uh, Jesus, is really Jesus, like Jesus lived the gospel out this way. Same with the previous answer, like Jesus lived out both love and sin. He was serious about both in the same way. And so I think this is, um, I think it's that. I said a lot. I'm trying, it's, it's cold, so I'm like talking fast. <laughs> Connected to that. Uh, I think that, like, God is the originator of justice. Like, just this concept of justice comes from God. And so if we're trying to live out justice apart from that, there's going to be a, it's going to be a distorted version. And uh, just before service, we were chatting a little bit. And, uh, you know, when people historically pursue justice, I mean, even, in, even with Jesus, we mess it up because we're still people. Um, but when people pursue that apart from God, it, it never works. There's these ideals of justice, but they end up just putting new people in oppression or creating new forms of injustice. And so if we're going to do this of our own power, of our own human wisdom, it's going to miss it every time because the only true version of justice can come from God. And so we have to be dependent on the Holy Spirit's discernment. Um, otherwise, we're going to get it wrong every time, even more so than we do with the Holy Spirit's help. Um, and so I think we can't. We can't separate. I had a friend once that asked me, like, oh, so are you still into that social justice stuff? And he's like, I've known him my whole life. He's like, you know what? I was like, yeah. Like, I don't, because it's like, that is, that is who the heart of God is. And I think when we try to separate them or we talk about the importance of one or without the other, both miss. Um, but I think it is a temptation sometimes to want to separate, like, Christians mess stuff up, so let's just focus on justice. But that, that messes stuff up as well. And that kind of reminds me of how human sinful nature, even in justice work, one of the, the, the ways that it often will show up is when we become the ones that defines what justice is. And then we put it in our own hands to execute our own definition of what justice is. And then that oftentimes becomes very oppressive to other people. I mean, that was the temptation in the garden, right? They wanted to define it for themselves, what, what was good. And yeah. What was right. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think there's two questions that I think, there's there's two tensions that I see in this question. One is like, what do we mean by the gospel? And then the other tension is kind of like, like how do, how, do, how does this, this justice or like the kingdom of God, maybe to put a theological term on it, how does it come about? So like on the first question, like what is the gospel? I think there's sort of this like spectrum and on the two extreme sides, like there's one side, one extreme, which is like, the gospel is just that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, and if you repent, you can be forgiven of your sins. Like, on one extreme, they would say that is the gospel, and that all, that is, only that is the gospel. And anything that we do that detracts from spreading that message so that people can know that they're sinners, know that Jesus died on the cross, and repent is just a distraction. So this justice work you guys are doing, you're wasting your time, right? That's not what people need. People, they have a spiritual need. 
and you need to give, you know, preach this message. So that's one end of the spectrum. But I think on the other end of the spectrum, you have people who feel that the gospel is liberation or is justice work, where basically, yeah, like the gospel is liberating people, and that is all there is. Like, you know, that is the message. That is the gospel. And so for them, salvation is liberation and justice work, and um, that's all we should focus on. And, you know, I mean, I, for me, I feel like that is also a mistake. Um, so it's even like in the Second John passage, right, where he talks about how Jesus, like if anyone does sin, you know, know that Jesus, you know, he, he's an advocate for us. He died on the cross um, to be a propitiation for our sins or atoning sacrifice. For it. Like I think there's still like this spiritual component that is definitely there in the gospel that there is like this need that we have to receive mercy. Um, and receive some sort of a, an atonement for for our sins and some sort of a redemption from him. So I think that's one of the tensions. The, the other tension, I'll try not to go too long here, and not to introduce unnecessarily kind of an academic perspective, but the other, I think, question sometimes people talk about when they're talking about, like, the kingdom of God is, like, how does the kingdom of God come about, right? Like, is it, like, did Jesus give the church the mission, it is your job now, to establish the kingdom of God, to establish this world where there is perfect justice and perfect mercy and, and all people. You know, like, is it our job to establish that? And so, you know, generation after generation, we would be progressively become more and more successful until one day we, we established it. We, we brought the kingdom of God about. Or is it something that only Jesus can, can do that? Like, when Jesus comes again, it's a reality that he, he will bring with him, right? Like, it, it's an inbreaking of the kingdom of God in the world. And, and so, like, one of the tensions I think somebody like myself might experience, because I, I tend to think like that, which might be a little bit pessimistic. Um, that might be too pessimistic, where it's like, I don't personally think that we as the church have been given the mission to establish this, like, on earth as it is in heaven. I, I just don't think that we are capable of doing that. Um, I think it's something that only Jesus can do when he comes again. But I, it sort of begs the question, like, so then what are we doing? <laughs> like, what, what is the point of our justice work if we're engaging in it, right? Like, it's such, such a kind of a pessimistic view. And for me, to go back to the question, I feel like the point of it is, it is a reflection of the gospel. Like, we're announcing to the world as ambassadors, the com this world is coming. Like, this is what Jesus came to do, and it is coming. He is coming to bring this. And in, in some ways, it's already here now because we, we are kind of uh, expressing it, you know, in, in the way that we live our lives and the way that our community lives. And it's kind of like, you know, I mean, how, how are people going to believe that Jesus really cares about everybody or Jesus really cares about people's suffering or people's oppression if we don't even care about it, right? Like, it, it, it's our, our witness of the gospel is, is diminished if we don't actually care about these things, which includes justice work and and so that, that's where, I, for at least for me, that's how I kind of put it together, where you cannot separate the, the message of the gospel and the message of this kingdom that, that Jesus promised and, and, and fighting for justice, because then it's like, yeah, I mean, why would anybody believe that Jesus cares about these things if we don't even care about it, right? So uh, that, that's how I see it. It's part of our witness of the gospel. Uh, one era of history when Christians took it upon themselves to establish the kingdom of God on earth, I think of the Crusades, and that did not work very well, right? Um, 
Yeah, can I add something? I, that was just making me think too of this, this term that Elliot used last week of like co-creation, right? Uh -huh. that, that we see that throughout the biblical narrative that in, in the beginning when, when God is telling Adam, you know, come name the animals with me, you know, as he, as he chooses Abraham and Moses and these different people, um, that there is this co-creation that happens. Yeah. And yes, it's God that actually is the one that does like the restoration and that changes hearts and minds that, that we can't do, but we are called to partner with him in, in bringing that about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that would be kind of expressed in sort of like we talk about like the now and not yet of the kingdom, right? There is a sense in which the reality of it is here now, but there's other sense in which, yeah, it's a reality to come. And, and nobody really knows exactly what that line is. Like, you know, in our work, for, for justice, like, I mean, who knows how much success we can achieve, like, before Jesus comes again, like, I mean, nobody can say how much, how far we can kind of push, push the, uh, the line, but um, I think the reason why I, I find it helpful is because I think, maybe just practice, there's a lot of pressure in thinking that it is our job to establish yeah. just, perfect justice on the earth, like, there's a lot of pressure, and I feel like a lot of people burn out and get very disillusioned thinking that it's our job and not feeling like they're as successful as they would expect, yeah. right? But I think just from a like mental health standpoint, one, one maybe healthy thing about having this perspective is if it is primarily a, um, if it's primarily, uh, I can't think of the right word, like a, an announcing of the kingdom to come, that whether I succeed or even I, I fail, like, you know, whether we actually succeed in sort of pushing the line of justice or we die on the hill, you know, at least pointing in the right direction, both of those can succeed in kind of sharing with, like helping people to understand the nature of, of Jesus's kingdom that is to come, right? So even if I die on the hill and I don't succeed at all <laughs> and I die as a martyr on the hill of justice, that could still actually in a lot of times can be even more powerful um, in kind of promoting what it is that Jesus is about and what it is that we're, that he has promised is coming. So, you know, even in failure, you can actually succeed maybe even more. So, but I don't know. I feel like that is helpful. <laughs> um, you know, I, I love these kinds of panel discussions because as you can tell, we don't necessarily agree on everything. Or at the very least, we have different perspectives. And, um, and that's all, I mean, uh, we can hold that. And not only can we hold that, but we can soak it in. And we can learn from each other and um, hope to do more of these things um, in the future. Um, I realize we're running out of time. Sorry about going a bit long. Thanks for your patience. Um, if you can entertain me for just two or three more minutes, I'll, I'll try to land this plane a little bit. Um, uh, the first way I want to land this plane is to introduce us to this topic of mission integral or integral mission. And this refers to a little uh, up to what Pastor Jay just talked about, how some Christians kind of tend to take more of a Bible only, like the gospel is purely spiritual. Why are you bothering with social issues? And then on the other hand, there's other Christians that are more like, you know, the gospel are social issues, so I don't need to do contemporary evangelism or, you know, whatever. As long as I'm doing social work, then it's the gospel. And what our church is about, and this is developed, you notice it's in uh, Spanish. This is developed from our, our Latin American brothers and sisters. It's called Integral Mission. 
And this was defined in Lausanne, well, um, or re-articulated in Lausanne in Switzerland back in 1974, and it says this, the task of bridging the whole of life under the lordship of Jesus Christ, and includes the affirmation that there is no biblical dichotomy, we shouldn't split these things to, uh, apart, between evangelistic evangelism and social responsibility in bringing Christ's peace to the poor and the oppressed. So we're about both at the same time, not just one or the other. And let me just end with one illustration. So I've been traveling a lot these last few months, and one trip that I took was to Asia uh, with a consultancy with Tear Fund, and I've been interviewing different Christian pastors all over uh, Southeast Asia about integral mission and how they practice these values that our church also holds dear. And I, we had a conversation about, well, what's the difference between the church engaging in social, uh, social issues and an NGO engaging in social issues? And Pastor Junel from uh, the Philippines, he actually started a community bank, which now has over $2 million, that does microfinancing with local um, small businesses in his region to combat poverty. This is his response, and I'll close with this response. He said, the church has a unique calling because we are proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. We, are, we do social actions, and we have soul. NGOs have expertise and resources. Church also has these things, and we have more. Um, the gospel is still necessary because we can't just offer loans without teaching people values that inform how they use this money. Because some people will take this money and get even in more debt. Did you know 80% of cooperatives in the Philippines fail because there's no framework for integrating money into the gospel? He explained that the cooperative is not about money, it's actually about vision and values. And that's where the gospel is needed, to provide vision and values. Uh, changes in attitude, changes in hearts, a vision of community of shalom, a conviction that you still have much to offer the world even though you don't have much money, that there is value in you outside of money, what Pastor uh, Vanessa is talking about, of accountability and discipline and stewardship and boundaries, breaking free from the scarcity mentality that there's not enough for all of us, that we, we don't have to just keep whatever we can for ourselves, that we can give to each other as well, that the gospel is crucial for empowerment and dismantling disempowered mindsets. We also want to help, but we realize we're not Jesus. So our, your empowerment is not tied to us, it's tied to Jesus. And without the gospel, money and finances and social power and the, the work itself become the primary focus in this work instead of the things that it needs to be. Really fun stuff. So in the future, we might invite some of our friends from the different parts of the world to share a little bit more with us and dialogue with us. But for now, we'll leave it as this, and let's, let's close us uh, in a word of prayer. Uh, Father, we thank you for this really lively discussion uh, as we struggle as a community through these tensions that are in life, are in our in scripture. And Lord, uh, uh, we want to continue to commit to loving our brothers even and sisters uh, and loving those that are different from us, loving those that um, may think differently, th those that we might naturally consider as enemies. We, we want to continue to commit to that. We pray for your guidance and your strength. And we also, in light of today's conversation, we pray for more maturity, that we can continue to do these things, but with, um, uh, with a soberness of heart, with a groundedness and an anchoring in the reality of sin that you also teach in the scriptures, in the reality of sin that might manifest in ourselves, might manifest in others, 
that we're working with and also that manifests in this world. Would you mature us in our love that, and encourage us to not give up in our love either one another? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.